Hey, live from AC Second listeners, this is Sam Mulberry with our summer podcast series. This series is based on my spring 2018 sabbatical project in which I interviewed 15 faculty who won the Bethel University Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching. As part of this project, I created long-form video interviews with these people to talk about the art and craft of teaching, to talk about how they became teachers, how they think about teaching, how they think about education and interacting with students. So I want to share these full interviews with you throughout the course of this summer. If you're interested in watching these interviews, you can go to cwcradio.wordpress.com and look under the teaching project. If you want to watch the feature-length documentary, Why We Teach, which is based on this interview series, you can also find that at cwcradio.wordpress.com. We'll be dropping interviews from this series onto the podcast feed throughout this summer. Our interview today is with Joey Horstman, the Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching winner from 2014. I'm Joey Horseman. I teach in the English department. I also teach in the Film Studies program uh, and the Humanities program. I've been here at Bethel since 1998. I grew up reading a lot, but there were no books around my house. There was the Bible and Bible study material and an encyclopedia, and that was it. Uh, for some reason, I was fascinated by books. There was a little bookstore in town that had two, um, two aisles and I would save up my paper route money and, and look at the covers and buy the books from that. So it was Lord of the Rings and um, some Kurt Vonnegut novels. I went to college really to wrestle, play baseball, and I was gonna major in accounting. Uh, grew up in a small town, southern Minnesota. No one had a PhD, I didn't know what that was. Uh, all the English teachers were female. Um, so what you did as a male was you went into middle management somehow. Um, the first semester, I quickly got on um, academic probation, lost my academic and athletic scholarship because I did not connect with my accounting classes. They, were, they weren't giving any kind of big picture or anything. Um, so I would skip class. And, and, and hole up in my dorm room and read novels until a roommate finally said, you know, Joey, they give college credit for reading. Why don't you take a literature class? Uh, the only course I did well in that, that first semester was college writing, the freshman comp course. Um, so I found that I could write. I liked. I came, uh, while my family didn't read, they're a family of storytellers. And when you get the floor to tell a story, you have to be entertaining and engaging. And that's how you use words. That's how I learned to, to appreciate words. So I could write, but I couldn't do anything else. Uh, that lit course that I took was fantastic. A guy who's still one of my mentors. And it was the way that he thought and the, 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 the way that he approached a work of literature that just fascinated me and opened opened up all kinds of possibilities, um, and I wanted to do that for other people. Then I became, through college, then I, I loved my literature courses and my writing courses. So I was gonna, what do you do with an English major? I was gonna teach high school and coach then. But by the senior year, every time a professor had mentioned a work, I would write it down. And by the end of, or beginning of my senior year, I had about five pages of books that I wanted to read and knew, well, I'll never get to these unless I, maybe I could go to graduate school 
and um, read them there. So I'd applied to some graduate schools, got in at DePaul in Chicago, and Chicago was, you know, looked fun. I'd never lived in a city before, um, and so went on and then started publishing while I was in graduate school. And what do you do with a master's in English? Well, I better go on for a PhD. Uh, um, and I kind of like doing things all the way. If I'm, if I'm going to run, I'm going to run a marathon. If I'm going to go to school for English, then I'm going to get a PhD. And, um, but just loved graduate school, absolutely loved it. Uh, you're surrounded by all those weirdos who are passionate about what they're doing. And it gave me the um, opportunity to, to read and study and write. And I began to see myself more as a teacher then. I had student taught as an undergraduate and realized that I really liked being in the classroom. Um, uh, I liked the energy of a classroom and I, I liked the energy of a, uh, of a college too. So I first went to after graduate school. I got hired by a little college in southern Iowa and adored that and kind of grew up as a teacher, although I had been teaching. Uh, two courses a semester at, at Purdue as well, and found that I could do it, that I had a teaching voice that seemed to engage students, and, um, and they seemed to learn something from my classes. So uh, ended up coming here in 98. The hardest thing, and actually what remains the hardest thing, is commenting on papers. And I didn't have a clue how to do that, but they, you get a week uh, going to Purdue. I'd had my master's degree. Um, I was an editorial assistant at DePaul for an academic and a poetry magazine, and then at uh, Purdue I was teaching. And you teach freshman comp because the professors don't want to teach that. And you get a week of training and then they throw you in the classroom. Um, I didn't know what I should sound like as a teacher. I'm, what, 23, 24 years old. They're not that much younger than me. And I looked young at that time as well, so I didn't know what my um, presence would be like in the classroom. Um, I didn't know really how to comment on papers. Now we met, I met with a group every week and we would talk about those things. Um, I still find that the most challenging thing about teaching is, is the commenting on the paper in order not to ra uh, uh, give a rationale for the grade but to make the student a better writer because um, that's a hairier <laughs> proposition. What I, was, what I was good at, I think, was engaging the students, that I could explain things in a way that they found, entertaining isn't quite the right word, but that, that, that engaged them. I can, I can tell a funny story. I can um, be honest with them and say, now I know this is boring, but you have to know what a how to use a semicolon, so we're going to talk about how to use a semicolon, you know, whatever it is. It's, um, they, I learned that very quickly that they would trust me if I just talked to them like they're human beings. And, um, and, and I think they responded, I think they responded to that. I think the other thing that struck me right away um, was that I didn't so much expect was I'm way beyond them in terms of their writing abilities. That I was scared the first time going in, oh, I don't know enough to do that. No, you actually do. They, they are, they, they need to know what you know. Um, that I didn't expect. You're stealing stuff from all the teachers that you know. Um, 
Mostly what I got from them, the, the three that I really connected with uh, through my master's program as an undergraduate and, a, and then a master's, it was just that they were so interesting. And they had thought deeply about so much that I was just captivated. I hated when they would ask a question or try to run a um, uh, class discussion because I wanted to know what they, what they knew. Um, uh, I wanted to hear uh, their insights. So it wasn't you know, pedagogically, they weren't doing anything uh, inventive. Um, it was just hearing them talk uh, about their interaction with the work and the implications uh, of that work. It was that they were all very genuinely themselves. They didn't try to hide any pedagogical weaknesses or really even any biases that they were, they were very open about that. Um, uh, but they brought their own, they weren't even very animated. I'm much more animated than they are in, in class because I can't sit still. But, but it, was the, it was just how fascinating that they thought, I think, that really drove me to that. Aging brings a number of challenges. One is um, you lose a lot of the references that you could use before. Luckily, Star Wars is still around because I don't keep up on pop culture. It helped me when my kids were still home because they could inform me of certain things. Uh, so that gets, a, that gets a little trickier, but you can also say to them, make a reference from something in the 70s and then tell them what it was uh, and make fun of how old I am. The most challenging thing is they see me as far more intimidating now, I think, or far less approachable. I think they were just as intimidated when I was younger and had hair, but uh, I looked approachable, so they would feel much more comfortable coming to talk to me in my office or asking a question. Um, I think that's a hurdle that I have to get over, uh, that I have to get over now. Um, I think it's gotten more difficult to read what the student is going through in a class period, that I'm reading body language and facial expression to try to figure out if they're with me, if they're engaged or not, and, and that's gotten more difficult, I think, um, uh, because students have changed even in their, you know, how they carry themselves in class and what they look like when they're, when they're paying attention, what they look like when they're, when they're not. Those are all um, more challenging now than they were when I was younger. I hate to use the word entertainment because that seems sort of shallow. And I don't think of, um, I'm going to tell a few jokes to warm people up and then I'm going to give my lesson. That's, that's not how I use, I primarily use humor. Um, that's not how I, I don't use humor in, in that way, the, the kind of cute way that a too many ministers do, let me tell you a cute little story about my son, now we'll move on to the hard-nosed sermon. Um, it's more integrated than that because the way that I see the world and the way that I, that I engage as a writer and as a reader is essentially comic. That that's part of my world view. So it's not like it's separate from whatever it is that we're dealing with. Um, it's, it's integrated, it's, it's organic to, uh, to what I'm doing. That, that, uh, yeah, I go back to it's a, it's a, it's a comic uh, kind of worldview. Um, so, but that engages them. They, they, um, 
they will smile, they laugh, not all the time, but they, they get that. They see themselves in, say, the stories that I tell or the, the, um, the interpretations that I give. Um, and, and usually it's a self-deprecating kind of humor and they trust me then, I think, more uh, to deal with difficult works, to deal with difficult material. Because I was an English ed major, you had education classes, which were all terrible. Uh, education technology, I got a D in, by the way, because the technology at that time was how to make a transparency and mine had a fold in it or something and I couldn't make a bulletin board. <laughs> I would have made a terrible high school teacher, perhaps. Um, but student teaching then, um, you think back to all the teachers that you really liked and what did they bring to the table. And for me, that was always a fascination with the, with the subject matter, a curiosity about the subject matter, and engagement with it. And the, the teachers seemed to kind of embody what they taught, um, that this was a way of looking at the world. And I picked up on that um, fairly early, I think, and started to develop what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. I'd also had some very poor teachers that just read their notes off of a transparency and, and that was it. Or, uh, you know, math teachers that would never look you in the eye and it, it just wasn't, I knew what I didn't want to be as well. And I knew how to tell a story. Uh, again, back to my family, when you have the stage, you have to produce something that engages people. Um, so I looked at the teachers that, that I really appreciated and they did those kinds of things and they responded to students individually in their comments. That is, back to commenting on papers, part of the difficulty for that for me is I like to know where the student's at. If this is the best the student can do and what they need is encouragement that they can actually do better they're going to get a different comment on a paper than a student who, you know, ran out of time, knocked it off in the last second, and didn't do um, as well as they could. Now, the second one, I'm going to be harsher on that in terms of comments. Even though it may get a better grade, finally, than the other one. It's the, not the grade that's the problem, it's the comments and the way to come at that. And the best professors that I had um, could pick up on that. It was much more like a coach that uh, my brother was a great athlete, and if a coach screamed in his face, he responded positively. If a coach screamed in my face, I would assume the fetal position. I couldn't function then. We needed two different kinds of, two different kinds of, um, of coaching. So I wanted to emulate that uh, as well. Um, I, I tinker with my classes and the lessons constantly. Um, not only in terms of, you know, you add a different book here and there every semester to keep it kind of fresh with you, but I do take my student comments very seriously, even though I usually know what's worked and what hasn't worked in the, in the classroom. Um, much of it is figuring out, uh, anticipating the problems that they will have. What are they going to stumble over in uh, contemporary literature. What work's going to be the hardest, so how can I set them up to be successful um, reading that? And I'm, uh, I'm not a terribly innovative teacher. I use very few PowerPoints and would never do a PowerPoint for an entire class. Um, I do essentially, I do more group work than I used to. I realized a few years ago when I had a student read a poem 
uh, for Britlet too, out loud in class, this was a number of years ago actually, that that they don't read, they don't know how to read, they don't know how to inflect, they don't get the rhythms, they don't get the sounds, and so the student read the poem just completely monotone, and well, no wonder they hate poetry if that's the way it sounds to you, so we do a lot more reading out loud in class, and um, you know, when it's working well, there's a good enough atmosphere that I can be the director and say, okay, stop, now think about how you said that line, what tone should this line be spoken in, that you, you've got to get the voice right. It's knowing what um, student difficulties are going to be and anticipating them in, in, uh, in certain ways. You're always thinking, I mean, I, it seems to me as a teacher constantly you're thinking about not only the class as a whole, but that particular class that you're, that you're teaching and there are you know, two students in the back who, are, who you know are not coming along with you, are not doing the reading, are not, are not engaged in the class, so how do I engage those people? Then there are these other two that sit in the front and they're, they're, I'm holding them back. They want more than, than what I give, so how do I engage them in this next class period that, that I'm going to teach? So you tinker with the classes not only before the class starts every time, but while the class is going through. I try to take their temperature formally half, at least halfway through or around halfway through every semester just by having them give me some feedback on what's helping them learn, um, what's, um, what are the challenges to learning, what's not working for them, and can adjust accordingly with that as well. I use a lot of individual conferences so that I at least I get some sense of who they are as people, uh, and that helps my teaching. I know this student is going to respond to this thing. I know this student is going to need more encouragement for this thing, which is one of the reasons I like teaching at a small college, that the English majors, I get to see, I get to watch them grow up. And then when they're seniors, um, they can't get away with anything because I know who they are and, uh, and they know who I am. I like I like the freshman classes. Uh, I really do because when I went to college, like I said, I went to play sports. I didn't. I thought it was like a big high school. I didn't have any idea what a liberal arts education was. And I can remember, as a matter of fact, the first couple of weeks of class, thinking, "What are these liberal arts everybody's talking about? I, I don't understand what they're saying." So the freshmen who come into humanities, for instance, I get it that they are just completely baffled by what we're doing um, and why we are doing it. So I relate to that kind of student who's just completely confused their first semester here. And sometime during that, my first semester, everything sort of clicked. Oh, art does have something to do with music, with the philosophy of the time, with the literature of time, with the history. It's all really one, and with the sciences, it's one big piece and they're all having this kind of um, conversation. And what, um, what my Christian liberal arts education did, I've mentioned before, was open up the whole world to me. And it opened up different possibilities for understanding and experiencing God and even noticing grace. It opened up uh, opportunities um, or widened my definition of worship and prayer and um, introduced practices like uh, meditation and, and scripture memorization and um, but also gave it a what a more philosophical a more philosophical grounding the um, my reading in literature allowed me to 
see what a great storybook the Bible is, what a great uh, storyteller Jesus is. I, you know, I tell my students, because it occurred to me when I was you know, in college, that Jesus doesn't sound at all like any of the theologians. He doesn't sound like Calvin or Luther or uh, you know, even St. Paul, once upon a time, is what he says. And that's a quote from Frederick Beekner, who pointed that out to me, that, that um, he tells a story and, and that my reading of other stories would enrich um, that kind of reading, that it's all of, a, it's all of a piece to me. I don't know that I would teach differently at a different, at a secular university. I didn't when I taught at a secular university. So it's not like, oh, I can't have values or talk about the Bible there even. Um, but here I think I understand a little bit more where the students are, where, they're, where, where they are beginning, and I can maybe open that up and hopefully you know, deepen it a, a little bit by, by challenging certain positions and, and by showing them other ways to uh, perhaps think about things. If you can write well and edit well, people think you're magical because no one can do it. Uh, my brother is a vice president of a corporation and every Christmas he complains to me that these business majors come in and they can't write. And his position is, I can teach them the business. That isn't actually that complex. But I can't teach them to write. That's what I'm hiring their, their, uh, them for. Why aren't you teaching them to write? Writing is a marketable skill. Editing is a marketable skill. If you can um, think critically and creatively, you can do any job that you, that you want to. Um, so it gives you, if you can speak well, um, if you can understand an audience, and respond to them accordingly. If you have cultural references that you can call on, if you can understand a, uh, the shape of a story and therefore tell a story, these are marketable skills for whatever you would possibly want to go into. But for me, that's not the heart of it. That, that's the, those are the skills you get along the way to, um, I put it in two ways. One, deepen your life to find what's meaningful there and to attach to it. It's a way of um, noticing more of what's in the world and noticing more about yourself. Literature always interrogates the, the reader. Noticing more about uh, other people's experiences, noticing more about the history of the world and uh, just how marvelous um, this is. It's also fun. It, it's just that's our first some of our first games are language games, that, that we love Dr. Seuss, and then somehow formal education beats that love out of them trying to find the big themes in the story, God versus, or man versus nature, man versus man, all those um, themes that we grew up with, instead of just reminding that, that your first games were playing with sounds and that that's what um, these uh, poets and, and writers are doing. Life becomes so familiar that we forget to look at it. I take the same road to work every day and so I don't look at it anymore. And what the writer and what the artist do largely, I think, is point out how, how magical and marvelous and also painful at different times um, our lives are and, and the world that we move through uh, is. I look at my... <laughs> I look at my job, and this gets into philosophy of teaching, I suppose, a little bit. I look at my job as, as teaching the students to pay attention, 
that to me that's the great theme of literature and that's the great theme of education. Other disciplines do it in, in other ways, that in literature we pay attention through, through plot, through character, through metaphor, uh, um, through uh, description, image, symbol, uh, things like that. Um, some other disciplines pay attention through a microscope, through a telescope, through the sounds and rhythms of music, through the, the textures and, and colors of sculpture and, and painting. I do it through um, story and metaphor. Uh, the two, two experiences that have informed my way of thinking about this is, uh, were personal experiences. One with, one with a, um, a friend of mine from a, a colleague at a different college I was at before Bethel who was the choir director. And we would go to concerts together, go to the symphony. If the symphony was bad, I would have an okay experience. He would have a terrible experience. He would be in almost physical pain for weeks afterwards. If the symphony was great, I would have a pretty good experience and he would have an ecstatic experience just beyond any and would be in heaven for uh, you know the following week. Well, why is that? It's because he heard more than I did. He heard more notes. He could distinguish more of what was going on. He was more engaged in the music um, than I do. And I want to do that for my students. It's largely show and tell. Look at what Toni Morrison is doing here. Look at what, um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut is, is doing in this book. And for me, it's tuning the ear to see more out of the work because then you see more out of your life. You notice more out of your life. It makes you more, more sensitive to uh, what's going on around you. The other anecdote was Dale Johnson, my first year here, um, was writing poetry, wanted me to look at, knew I had been a poetry editor before, wanted me to look at some of his poems, and I said, well, I, I didn't take any painting classes. I didn't, the, the males in southern Minnesota didn't take any literature courses that they didn't need, and they didn't take art courses. And I would like to be able to paint because, you know, as a writer, I just sit in front of a keyboard. As a painter, you get the smells and the colors, you get dirty and you get movement. I want to be able to do that. I, I told him I'm going to take one of your classes and he said, All right, let's go. I'll give you, a, uh, I'll give you some lessons. Uh, that night, by the way, I went over to his studio and he gave me a bunch of lessons and we were up all night long. But that afternoon, we went out to the lawn here and he did a dramatic Dale Johnson like how many colors do you see and I think I picked out like three or four colors there's some green there there's the, the different color green of the pond that's there and the you know cement color and and he said no <laughs> no no there are I can't remember the numbers like 15 different colors right here in this square foot and he began pointing them out to me that you see the way the sun hits comes through that tree and it makes that blade of grass, just a sliver of that great blade of grass blue. And there's just a sliver there of red. And as he pointed them out, I could see them. And then, well, I got about eight or 10 and then couldn't see any more, but just pretended like I did. And I thought that's what teaching is. It's pointing out what they don't, that there's more here that you don't see because there's more in their lives that they don't see as well. And to remain vital and open 
to the world. And again, it's not blocking out any of the evil. How could we do that the day after you know, there's another school shooting, that there is, um, there is darkness in the world as well. But to embrace um, all of it, I think, is one of the things that uh, literature and creative writing and even film uh, can do for students. So I want to, a good novel to me takes you out of your life, not to escape it, but to put you back into your life more fully and more attached and engaged with it. And when I'm writing and when I'm reading, I'm much more alive. Uh, I, I am seeing more colors, I'm hearing more notes, and that's my goal for, uh, for my students. I, I think you're really juggling um, uh, all three of the things. The, 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 the science I would interpret as sort of the, the nuts and bolts things that are set, that you can say, we have to do this in the class, we have to cover, we have to cover these things. You have to know how to write a complete sentence. Um, uh, there are certain things that I'm gonna do that I have to, like just learning their names. Um, uh, I think the, 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 let me see how I'm thinking about this. The, the, the crafting then would be the next step of, okay, how do I get them to do, how do I learn the names? Okay, I'm gonna, I, I need to do that or they need to learn this sort of thing, so how am I going to craft that? And then the art is more in the presentation because, and it's more improvisational, at least for me, because I'm reading where the students are at. And the art seems to me part of that, what I talked about is sort of coaching before, that you, some students need a kick in the pants and some students um, need me to carry them somewhere and tell them that they can, that they can do that. Uh, so the, the science and the craft to me are sort of the bedrock and the art is the improv that I do after that based on that class, how that class is going at that time. And quite frankly, sometimes it's what's happened in the world at that time or what happened to me reading this work this time. I always reread the works. Maybe my memory isn't well enough to be able to teach it without that. And there will be other things that, that stand out to me at different times. So I will change, you know, sometimes walking down the hallway, I'll say, you know, I'm going to start by talking about this. So, and that improv seems to be um, more of the art. So I think it's all three sort of intermingled together. There are times I wish it, it was more, um, what, more clear or definitive, that if you do this, the students will respond this way. And it never is. Even if I'm teaching the same uh, uh, humanities uh, in two different sections, and what works in the morning, then I do it in the afternoon and it doesn't work. And uh, there are no guarantees on, um, the, on how you've crafted something, and I think that's where the art comes in. Okay, what do, I, uh, what do I do now? I think it's as simple as show and tell. And I think that makes the works, you know, the, the, one of the great secrets is that's what makes it fun for me, that, that um, I get to introduce people to Wordsworth. I get to introduce them to Don DeLillo. I get to introduce them, um, uh, you know, to Annie Hall in, in Intro to Film. Uh, how much fun is that? And a lot of it is just saying, 
you know, here it is. It was like, I've led England term a couple times, and it's far more fun being there with a group of people. I love, I won't drive by a cathedral without stopping and looking at the cathedrals. And it's much more fun to be presenting it to someone else. It's the same thing with your kids. Well, it's more fun going on vacation with your kids, however much of a pain it is, uh, but you're showing them something and you're experiencing it, you're experiencing it um, together. So I look at it as, as kind of show and tell. I look at it, I go back to the best coaches that I had and I, I look at it as, as, um, uh, as coaching and those coaches were also, were also mentors, the best ones were also mentors to me, but they knew how to, they knew how to respond to an athlete to get the best out of them. And much of it is showing kids that you can do this that, yep, you know what, Ulysses is a hard book to read. It's very hard. And it took me a number of times through before I, before I caught on. I don't read it the first time through and, and get it, and it's easy. You've got the intelligence. You need some tools that I can give you and some context that I can give you, and you can read any difficult work. Um, uh, and I think that's what good coaching does, that, that you can do this. It's, it's uh, I need to, in the 300 level courses in senior sem, um, I need to make myself unnecessary, that you can do, you can engage this work uh, on a, on, on a uh, professional level uh, without me telling you what's there. This semester I'm teaching Britlet 2. I love teaching Britlet 2. Uh, I get, I look forward to, I look forward to that every day, and when you have a, a good class, when you have them, when they're engaged, that, that's just, and it is because I get to introduce them to all this great stuff. Many of them will go on England term and, and go to places, you know, Wordsworth's home and stuff like that. Uh, but, I mean, how, do I, how does that compete with intro to film, uh, uh, where I get to introduce students to films that they've never seen before, and suddenly they realize that, God, th this is an art that can actually inform my life. But contemporary lit, uh, which is my field, I, my dissertation's in postmodern literature, uh, and again, I get to introduce them to all these great writers that they, haven't, that they haven't read, that there's a vibrant literary community out there, um, but also, you know, humanity, the humanities program, however much work it is, and it's like twice as much work team teaching as you know than it is just teaching your own class, um, but to be able to sit in on when Carrie Peffley gives a lecture on Aristotle is, is just a blast to me. And to see those freshmen grow up over the four semesters that they take um, humanities. So I would, it depends on the semester. If I, I would say this, if I, if, if, as, a, as a graduate student, if I could have written out these are the courses that my ideal job, it, it would be what I do right now. It's absolutely what I do. I expect them to bring um, curiosity to the works and um, energy to the classroom. Um, uh, and that doesn't mean they have to talk in class. I didn't say three words as an undergraduate through my, actually it took me five years to get through. Um, but they need to be paying attention. That's bringing energy to the classroom, uh, looking at other students when the other student's talking, being engaged in the class. Uh, but they need to be curious 
um, and want to find things out, want to know things. Sometimes they need to trust me that, yep, this is a hard work, but it will pay off. I'm not, I don't ask them to do busy work. I won't ask you to read a crappy piece of literature. You're not going to connect with every work, but I ask you to respect it, that um, the work really isn't on trial here. The student is, and you've got a, a great writers demand great readers, and you are learning still uh, to read, at least having different contexts to put it in. Those are my expectations. My goals are that they, you know, really that they fall in love with a few of the writers and a few of the works. My goal is that they become more and more curious about not only literature, but, but life. We don't read literature to learn about literature. We, learn, we read literature to learn about um, life and what it is to be a, uh, a whole um, human being. I expect them to gain, um, or a goal is for them to gain a number of skills, and my goal is f for them not to be easily satisfied with where they're at, but to want to get, um, to want to get better. Um, my goal is for them to have some fun. There's a character, I think it's in Catch-22, who says, who was an English major, and it says that he learned everything about literature except how to enjoy it. And I know when, when, when you're reading something for an assignment, it's not nearly as much fun as reading it on your own. When you're going to have to take a quiz on it, when you're going to have to write a paper. And I'm very conscious of that because these are great works in part because they're fun on their own. And that idea of pleasure, um, I, I just hate if I'm sucking that out of their uh, experience of the work. Uh, Terry Eagleton says, the, the literary theorist, says that the real problem with literary studies is that it's not unpleasant enough to be considered a bona fide academic discipline. And I don't want to take that out. I want them to experience in the work and, and see how much fun it is as well. The ultimate goal is that they become lifetime readers, and not just of novels and poems, but of everything, history, um, science, everything that they can get their hands on, that it's a fascinating world, and I want them to be fascinated. I tell my students that the, the real goal is for them to become interesting people, because that makes me more interesting. It makes everyone around them more interesting, and what makes you interesting is being curious about and passionate about a, a lot of different things, and, and seeing how that how that feeds you. And you connect more with certain classes and don't connect with, with other ones. And there's still a group of guys that I get together with that were here maybe like the third year that I came in and that was sort of my class. It was just a group that really, that really clicked together. I keep in touch with a number of students that uh, were on both my England terms and um, you know, a number of students when they're, when they're back they stop in. That we've had a relationship, but most of them you know, fall away after. after. I don't, I'm not on Facebook or anything, so I don't keep in contact with, with people very much. But for me, it's, um, I want to understand a little bit about where they are. Um, so I can respond to them properly and so that maybe I can anticipate what difficulties they're going to have. They need to trust me. Uh, dealing with film, dealing with contemporary lit, dealing with uh, well, the 20th century lit, we're going to talk about some uncomfortable things. Um, and you need to trust that I'm not being, that the students need to trust that I'm not being frivolous with this. I'm not, um, 
Uh, I'm not trying to lead them astray in certain ways that, they're, that we can deal with anything um, and it's okay to read this and, and we will get through it. Uh, I like the, the kind of mentoring role that, that means something to me. I think I've done it less as I've gotten as I've gotten older, I hope they would say he engaged me in the work more and and made me see a lot of things that I didn't see, uh, both about the work and about how the world works, what it is to be human. I would hope they would say that he was um, insightful in comments and demanding enough so that my writing and, and reading uh, improved. I hope they would say that um, uh, that he made us feel safe in the classroom and outside of the classroom. That that we could, um, you know, talk to him or float ideas. Uh, that even gets back to something that's so simple as it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to answer the question and and be you know float something and let's see and let's see what happens and i hope they would say that i gave them permission both in creative writing classes maybe particularly in creative writing classes but also in in interpretation classes that i gave them permission to play that you play with the ideas you play with the words you play with the structures uh, you play with an interpretation and um, see what comes out i hope they would say he always treated me with dignity that he treated me like a human being, not like someone who's, uh, who's somehow inferior. I'm well aware that most of the students in the classroom have a higher IQ than I do. I just have a bit more context and experience and that I can give to them. I think there is a, a kind of teaching persona that's authentic to you. It's not, you're not acting, but it's a, a part of you that clicks with, with um, clicks with the material mostly. I think you embody that discipline and you figure out how to do that and, uh, and recognize that you'll be nervous and before classes and uh, I mean I'm still before every semester doing jumping jacks in my office before the first class because I'm so nervous for it. Um, uh, and there are times that you'll you know, screw up or say something that's wrong. The nice thing about a class is that you can always fix it the next class period. Sometimes things won't work. Be a little patient with yourself. But, but always be considering how the class is doing, how, how your presence in the classroom is helping or hindering, and you're, you're trying to find that. You know, it's just like a writer when I'm teaching fiction writing. You're trying to find your voice, and you do that oftentimes by imitating other writers, you imitate other teachers until you find the voice that's authentic to you and that matches the subject matter and that reaches the students. I thought when I got into my 50s that I would be wise and understand everything. <laughs> Everything's gotten more complicated. I really think it's this, that it is, teaching is a huge task. And when you're in the classroom, you're making dozens of decisions simultaneously. And, um, and almost effortlessly, you're, you're not even really considering them, but you're responding and reacting. And uh, at the beginning of every semester, it's worse after the summer, when you've sat back and said, how did I get through all that material? How did I, how did I do that? And you forget, I th and it's even 
worse for me after sabbatical. Coming back after my sabbaticals, I, I, I'm almost nauseous, I'm so nervous at the beginning, because I don't know that I can do it. Um, it seems like a very daunting task. Um, so uh, in part it's that, uh, that the beginning of the semester I get very nervous. Before every class though, I'm nervous. I'm a bit high strung anyway, uh, nervous person um, anyway, so I f sort of feed off that and I don't know if it's gonna work and I want it to be, I want it to be great. I want every student in my class to have the best experience in a class that they've ever had. I'm not, I, I, I want it to be that. And, um, and I don't know that I'm always up for the task. So I'm always nervous about, I'm always nervous about teaching. And I'm an introvert. I, I don't like talking to people. Once I'm in the classroom, I'm fine. But I will start out every class um, shaking a little bit. As a matter of fact, a number of classes I don't go too early the first class. I come in right as the class starts and I'm talking as I walk in. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from that. I do that at different classes during the semester too, that um, students really respond to that because they pay attention right away. We're not just going to go through the syllabus. I come in um, quoting Shakespeare's Sonnet 73 and then asking them what they heard and then I recite it again and we, and we talk through it. Um, part of that, that, or that started, now I use it because it's a good strategy to get their attention. It started because I was so nervous walking in, I wanted to be saying something so the class is already moving because then I'm fine, th then I relax. So I'm sort of a nut job when it comes to certain things. For students, I think be, you know, just be open and grab everything that you can. And I, I think my greatest frustration with students now is that they're so driven one for grades and, and be driven by the material. And particularly for lit and writing students, there's no material that's off limits. That uh, take a physics course. Physics has influenced contemporary literature more than any other field. Understand you know, these other fields. Well, I was saying one of the things that frustrates me is that, that students are so driven both for grades rather than fascination by the work and for, um, and for getting out of here as quickly as possible. And I understand that because it's so expensive. Um, but it does take a certain emotional maturity in order to deal with, with certain works. But also you should be getting out of your major and taking all kinds of classes because they're there. And, and they're interesting. And I like the student, actually my, all three of my sons were this way, who were frustrated that they didn't have the time to take all kinds of different classes. They couldn't take two more philosophy classes and an art history class and, uh, because it, they didn't have time in their, in their schedules. Um, and so I think that be curious, be fascinated by everything, and recognize that the usually the work itself isn't boring. It's, you may be bringing boredom to the thing. So bring your curiosity, excitement, enthusiasm to it and it will, um, it will come alive. I think Bethel does a, a number of things very well and that um, uh, the administration letting departments run their department, trusting the professors to, um, uh, to do their jobs, um, and to, to do them well and, and uh, to be encouraging. Um, uh, I think 
you know, given the economic situation and the Bethel's financial situation, that there are huge hurdles that we have to, um, that we're going to, huge challenges that we're, that we're facing. And my advice would be to um, what reaffirm uh, the college as a Christian liberal arts institution and recognize um, how great the faculty is. Uh, I'm blown away by Bethel faculty. That's what brought me here. Um, and the opportunities that, that a small college like this affords for cross-disciplinary study and conversation, that, um, that th those are two of the things that, that really keep us alive um, and that, that make us vital, that we can be the Christian college of, of choice if we recognize these are our, these are our gifts that we can give, um, I think we can give them to the world.